Welcome back to the AP World History Podcast and our last look at Chapter 19 in the Collisions, um, the Collision of Empires. Um, we're going to look at the final one here, Japan, which was nothing near the power that the Ottomans or the Chinese were. Uh, they were an isolated country, if you remember, uh, under the Tokugawa era. Um, and so uh, they uh, are not a major power, uh, but they are going to flip that around and become a major power because they're going to look at the Europeans and go, hey, uh, we can do that and we can even do it better. So uh, this all really starts with uh, partially with uh, Commodore Perry uh, coming to Japan and saying, hey, you need to open up and trade with the U.S. Otherwise, we're going to blow you up. And Japan goes, uh, OK. And uh, that'll lead to eventually the Meiji Restoration. Uh, but we do need to just do a little review on the Tokugawa era. So uh, if you remember, uh, Japan, uh, through most of its history, is very feudalistic. Um, the early periods in Japan are like this, and uh, the Tokugawa area is definitely like this. Uh, but uh, Japan's island uh, makes it really tough to unite and have a very strong centralized government because of all the mountains and the islands. And so you have local lords known as daimyos that control certain regions, and uh, then you have a shogun at the top of that that brings them all together. It's kind of the head daimyo. And then above him, you have the emperor. Uh, but uh, in the case of the Tokugawa shogunate, the emperor doesn't have much of any power and really all the powers in that shogun. And uh, their capital was at Edo, which is modern day uh, Tokyo. And um, the, uh, the Tokugawa shogunate brought peace from a warring states kind of period in, in Japan. And uh, they really liked tradition and didn't want to see things change too much. They wanted to trade uh, still and make money from silver and other goods, uh, but they didn't want to trade with the Europeans and do all the modernization that they were doing initially because uh, that was a threat to their traditions and the feudal structure that was there. Uh, so uh, they really just traded with their old partners of China and some of the other uh, regions in the, in, uh, the uh, East and Southeast Asia. Uh, but... Um, they really tried to avoid the Europeans other than the Dutch who are allowed to trade with them. And uh, they, uh, because of this, uh, they did pretty well. There is peace, there's prosperity, uh, but the people that are getting the most are the merchants and they're the lowest class of this. So you start to have some uh, samurai, especially who aren't able to leave their profession of being a samurai and what will eventually become a bureaucrat instead of a warrior. They can't leave that and become a merchant uh, one, because of the social stigma that goes with it, but two, because uh, the Tokugawa shogunate says you have to maintain your uh, profession that your parents did or that your family did, uh, father did. Um, so um, there we'll see some discontent, which will lead up or, or set things up for the Meiji Restoration. Um, and uh, when Matthew Perry comes or Commodore Perry comes, uh, the southern states, which are modernizing a little bit more or a little bit more influenced by the, uh, the Westerners, uh, they will rise up and help overthrow the Tokugawa era and bring about the Meiji Restoration, where the emperor gets more power, but really that gets replaced then. Not, not that he gets replaced, he's still there and he's still there today, or that position is there today, but um, that power will be then replaced by the uh, Republic, uh, which is kind of based around Prussian's model of things. And... Uh, they will start to become more uh, European. Uh, 
because they bring in that Western Western culture. They bring in the Western ideas because they see how powerful it is. And the main reason why they see how powerful it is is because they're they're right next to China and they saw exactly what happened to China. They heard all the reports of what was going on in China with the opium wars and said, uh, well, the the first opium war they start to change before then the second opium war. But uh, they see the first opium war and go, hey, uh, we we don't want that to happen to us. And so. Um, that's really what kind of led to the, the Meiji Restoration. And uh, so we see the government change. Uh, like I talked about, the emperor gets a little bit more control, but really that power then goes to the, the republic that is put in place. And we'll also see them, though, um, send people to Europe to get educated in the European style of things, whether it is for business or for the military or navy or whatever. Uh, and they come back with those ideas and uh, bring them back. Um, some things wholesale, other things they mesh with the Japanese style of of life. And so uh, you'll see the the navy go to Britain, which has the strongest military, or the navy at the time. We'll see the uh, army leaders go to Prussia, which has the strongest arm army at the time. Uh, and we'll see uh, merchants or uh, people looking to become merchants and stuff like that, uh, going and being educated in all the European countries to bring back um, those uh, capitalistic ideas and the Western technologies. Um, so let's see, what else do I want to say there with the economy? Um, let's see, sorry, sorry for the long pause here. Uh, I'm going to go back to the social changes here in a second, but I gotta, I gotta find my economic stuff. Um, so this industrial revolution that we're going to see take place in, in Japan, uh, is going to actually be a lot led or be heavily led by the government. The government has the funds to be able to, uh, push these things and, and finance, uh, the, uh, building of factories and things like that. And so what they're going to create is businesses, known as zaibatsus, uh, which are large companies that they create or large factories and organizations that they create. And then uh, they will then sell them to uh, people eventually. Or they'll hand them over to people uh, eventually uh, to then run as their own and not have it as a government organization. Uh, they will also heavily um, uh, build, or build a lot of infrastructure uh, with railroads, ports. Uh, they'll set up the postal system. They'll set up a centralized banking system that allows for all this. Um, and um, incredibly, they didn't incur a lot of foreign debt to do this, so they weren't really indebted to the Europeans too much. Uh, so, um, <coughs> that's going to maybe affect the uh, people a little bit more, because to do this, they're going to have to pull it from their own people's resources. So we see the poor being affected by uh, high taxes and stuff like that. Uh, some of the poor uh, families are going to sell their daughters, which we've seen or talked about with the, the geishas in the Tokugawa era. Uh, this wasn't an uncommon thing, uh, but now instead of selling them to a, a geisha house, you're going to sell them to a textile factory to work there, uh, where they'll work for maybe 12 hours a day, and uh, they'll live in the dorms, and um, not, not really a great condition. So we see the child labor that we saw in Europe also comes here. Uh, also, though, uh, one major difference in the organization of labor and stuff there in Japan is they don't create unions. They're really resistant to the unions, and so we don't see that, that happen. Uh, but uh, even so, 
Japan is going to become a the the largest economy in that region. Uh, they're going to become the economic powerhouse, and um, they will will dominate the region. Um, eventually, politically, but. Uh, let's talk about socially what happens, and then we'll get into the politics. Uh, or, well, we've talked about the politics a little bit, but the the international politics of what they do. So, um, the culture also changes when you bring in all this new money. Uh, you bring in these uh, new ideas. Things are going to change. It's it's it, although we don't say the the Meiji Restoration is it's not called the Meiji Revolution or anything like that. It it might as well be called or, or it should be classified as a revolution because of all the drastic change that happens. Uh, because you have the daimyos and the samurai, they get wiped out. Uh, they get erased by the government. The government says no more of this feudal system and and those uh, guys. They're not going to be the warriors anymore. Warriors are now conscripted, so now uh, anyone can be part of that military. Uh, officials can be from anywhere. Uh, it's no longer just samurais and daimyos being that, so you, now you can get the best of the best in there. Um, so those Confucian ideas are gone. Uh, do they go away overnight? Uh, no, not really, because you still see some of those uh, remnants of those ideas today. Uh, but some of the major ones, like merchants and businessmen, are, are bad. We see that go away. Um, so uh, that's going to... Uh, I mean, those are some drastic shifts. And the, the samurai resist this and have a civil war over it. Um uh, but they, they lose because they don't have the modern technology. When you go up against guys with rifles and, and Maxim machine guns and cannons and you're using uh, swords and uh, cavalry charges and stuff like that, it, it's not going to work terribly well. Um, what else do I want to say? Uh, with the culture, uh, they try to... Uh, I brought up that earlier that they uh, westernized uh, their education systems. Um, one thing to bring up with that Western education system is they eventually bring those European ideas back. And so you see, uh, boys and girls getting universal education, although they're, they're segregated, they don't go to the same schools. Uh, we also see women, uh, getting, uh, slightly more rights. Uh, they're getting a little bit more voice, uh, in things, partially because of that education, uh, partially because they can get a job now and earn their own wages. Uh, and, uh, they, uh, fight, uh, to have, um, uh, rights and uh, be able to vote and be able to participate in things uh, more openly in the public, but um, they still get uh, uh, pushed down. Um, so, uh, anything else? I think that's that's pretty much everything um, that I want to bring up uh, with the culture area things. Uh, we've covered the government uh, and we've covered the um, the uh, economic aspects. So now, uh, the only thing really left is, uh, so what did Japan do with this? Well, uh, they looked around at the world and saw what the Europeans were doing, and they see the scramble for Africa going on, and they see uh, Europe gobbling up other areas in East Asia and Southeast Asia, and they go, hey, uh, we, we should be able to participate in this. This is what makes them any better than us. Uh, we've modernized and done all this, and so we see them go to war. Uh, and and go conquer new regions. So one of the areas they really wanted to conquer um, is they wanted to go and take over uh, Korea. And so they will eventually go take Korea. They'll eventually take Manchuria and have that as their sphere of influence in China. Uh, they'll take Taiwan, which was lost by the Chinese. And um, 
through all this, this will lead to conflicts with other major powers like the Russians, which were viewed as a major power in, in Europe or in that region. Uh, however, they go toe-to-toe with them and actually beat them in the Russo-Japanese War. And uh, that'll be one of the reasons why uh, we'll see the Russian Revolution happen in 1917. Uh, it led to revolution in Russia in 1905 that, that, that failed, but led to some changes. And um, they, they, because of the success and, and the regions they, they conquer, are looked at as a symbol of hope for the uh, East Asians, uh, for, for China, for uh, the Ottomans even, for even Eastern Europeans who are dominated by the Western Europeans. Um, but uh, it, it's not all good because if you're one of the people that were conquered by these groups, you didn't look at them that way. If you're the Koreans, the Taiwanese, or the Manchurians, um, uh, you notice that they were actually worse than the Europeans. I mean, their their rules are absolutely brutal, and and they don't uh, even today they struggle to admit the atrocities that were done. Uh, but you have some really really atrocious things that happen in Korea. Um, and they're just now slightly kind of apologizing for those things. Um, but at times they were, they were more brutal. Um, maybe not as bad as what we saw in the Congo with King Leopold and, and the latex industry there, um, or the latex collection, but uh, it, it, it wasn't good. Uh, they were very uh, repressive and um, took out anyone that kind of got in their way. So uh, they, they were a a beacon of Western, uh, Western influence or Western ideas in East Asia. They adopted all that and, and became a rival to the Europeans, and that's why we're going to see them uh, participate in World War I and be a major player in, in that region of the world, uh, although there's not a lot of fighting in, in East Asia and Southeast Asia. Uh, but then we're going to see them rise up to their peak and, in World War II. Uh, this all sets it up. If this doesn't happen and they don't have the Meiji Restoration, they don't have the industrialization that came with that, uh, we would be looking at uh, Japan either becoming a colony or just remaining one of those slightly independent regions because uh, the Europeans didn't really want to, to mess with them too much. They didn't see any value there. So um, that's kind of the empires in collisions here a little bit. Remember, uh, Japan's going to be the exception. And uh, this is the time where we start to see the Ottomans and uh, the Qing dynasty and the dynasty system in China start to uh, uh, fall and eventually collapse in our, at the beginning of our next era here from 1900 to present.